again, and uh, this time I can uh, honestly say Happy New Year and Happy New Decade. Uh, the holidays are behind us, perhaps unfortunately, and today we are setting out on uh, the new year as this local expression of the church. And uh, tomorrow, I know it's probably back to normal, school, work, uh, the usual, and we're back into that. And the great question this morning is, uh, what does God have for us as we stand on the threshold of this new year and new decade? As I was thinking about that question, I thought that uh, what I really wanted to do this morning was to remind us about our general direction as a community this school year uh, as we're pursuing this um, uh, idea of the greater things that Jesus promised that his followers uh, would do after his departure. And we will get to that, uh, but that's going to be right at the end of what I have to say this morning. Because what I want us to do this morning is to sit in this psalm that we've just had read to us. It's actually a very long psalm, uh, and I have uh, kind of uh, gutted it. Some of you uh, will have noticed that the, uh, the verses didn't run uh, uh, quite uh, as they, they come in your Bible if you have it open. Uh, so I've kind of uh, condensed it a bit, uh, but that's to try to manage it and to handle it. And uh, the reason I want us to spend time in this psalm uh, is that the psalms generally uh, are this rich and ancient resource uh, of prayers and wrestlings with the deep realities of life and God. And because we're at the start of this new decade, it seems like an appropriate time to go back there, to go back to what we know, to go back to treasure that we have uh, there in Scripture, uh, and to use that as the, uh, the ground zero, if you like, uh, of our action and life as a community uh, as we push forward into this new decade. Psalm 89, which I'm focusing on this morning, is a, uh, written by a man called Ethan the Ezraite. Now, we don't know much about him, and we don't know much about the context of which, in which he wrote, although some commentators suggest that this is a psalm that comes right out of the period of the exile. If you remember, the exile was the great tragedy that uh, um, happened to the uh, Israel, Israel nation uh, as uh, the Babylonians uh, destroyed Jerusalem uh, and carted off all the key leaders uh, to Babylon for what became a 70-year exile. Uh, and this was devastating uh, to, to the, uh, the, the, the true believers. Uh, it shocked them, it stunned them, uh, and it called into question their whole understanding of who they were, of who God was, what God was doing. And uh, so while we don't actually know, uh, I want to look at this psalm this morning as if it was written out of that time of devastating loss and basic incomprehension uh, of what God was doing uh, in their lives and in their world. As we get to, uh, to look at this psalm this morning, for me, as I was reading it this week, it seems to me that it breaks down into four 
main stanzas or even movements. And I've listed them for, for you here because this is the shape that it comes in. So the first movement, verses 1 to 18, uh, is about praise to God. So he's praising God and he's, he's acknowledging who God is and how faithful God is. In the second movement, verses 19 to 37, he is standing firm on the promises that God has made to Israel. And he knows what God has said, and that is his point of security and uh, the thing that he's going to hang on to. Uh, this is what you have said, God. This I will rely on. In the third movement, we have lament for the current distress and catastrophe. And this is where he looks at the apparent gap between what God has promised and the reality of the now. Uh, and it's pretty bleak. And out of that movement of this psalm, he moves to the fourth one, which is his cries of desperation, where he prays to God and says, Oh Lord, how long? Okay, so that's the shape that uh, is going to unfold across this psalm. And we're going to look at this in a bit more detail so that we get an understanding of where he's coming from. So follow me in. Praise to God is where he begins. He's going to sing, he says, about the Lord's great love forever. With his mouth, he will make known the Lord's faithfulness through all generations. And uh, these changing of the years, the changing of the decades, remind us that we are in a flow here. But Ethan is looking back and he's saying, well, as far back as I can see, God has been faithful and his love endures forever. This is his anchor point, the place to which we can actually all return with confidence. God is love. God is faithful. To put this in the context of our Granville Chapel reality, 70 years ago this year, and some here uh, can just about remember that, but most of us can't, 70 years ago, Granville Chapel was planted here on this corner. The founding generation believed that God wanted the good news of Jesus to be incarnated in this corner of Vancouver. And at that time, it was apricot orchards uh, and fields, which is kind of hard to imagine these days, right? As the city has spread and uh, expanded all over. But they felt that this was the place. They prayed, they bought the land, they built this building. And 70 years on, Granville Chapel can say as a community that God has been faithful. We're still standing. We're still worshiping here. The building, yes, but much more than that, this community of faith that God has called together. And as a community, we can look back over those 70 years to many answered prayers, to many lives transformed, to love and grace extended to many people here and around the world. I'm also happy to say that that faithfulness of God is not just something that is 
part of our ancient history as a community. It comes right up to the present. Some of you will have been aware, as you've looked at your bulletins and heard the announcements over the last month, that we have been pushing for our year end. Well, the good news is, we made it. God is good. We have reached our year end in the black, and in addition to that, we have just about all the money needed to cover the Jumar Gul family when they come. So that uh, fundraising push above and beyond our general budget here has also been covered. So I want to take this opportunity this morning to say thank you to all of you who have given so generously to make that happen. But I also want to recognize that it's actually God who drives that, right? It's God's faithfulness to us to enable us to give, to enable us to continue the work of being the church together. So we want to give glory to him this morning and say this is not about Andy's brilliant leadership, far from it. This is really God's faithfulness and God's love to us. So I hope that's a happy note to, uh, to sound as we start this new year together. So collectively, we can join with Ethan in declaring God's faithfulness and love. Ethan goes on. He has plenty more to praise God for. He looks to the heavens and he sees that God has created them and he's created the earth So he's to be praised as the creator of all, the almighty one. He has power. He has strength. There are lots of reasons to praise God. But more than just his uh, outward attributes, his power, his strength, his creative ability, he's also to be praised for his character. He's to be praised for his righteousness and for his justice, which are the foundations of his throne. And at times when we look around and feel like the world is in chaos and where is justice and where is righteousness, Ethan points us back to the fact that the Father's throne stands on these pillars of justice and righteousness and love and truth and that those are the things that really ultimately matter. And he also points out that For those who have learned to live out this lifestyle of praise, there is a blessing, a blessing of standing grounded in that great truth of God's faithfulness and giving it back to him in terms of praise. That's where we stand. And that's how we can step confidently towards this new decade. God is faithful. And we discover the joy of walking in the light with him. So that's the first movement of this psalm. Standing firmly in praise and recognition of God and who he is. Second movement, we come to standing firm on God's promises. Verses 19 to 37 go over the promises made to King David. When God covenanted to appoint David's line to the throne of Israel and to establish it forever. Now, this promise is is central to the Jewish understanding of God and God's covenant. And what all observant Jews of the time that uh, Ethan was writing uh, wanted was to see David's line ruling from Jerusalem and staying in contact with the reality that the temple set in Jerusalem 
was the place where God was pleased to dwell with his people. And so to stand on the promises of God, on these promises that God made to David so long ago, uh, was Ethan's joy and delight. This is the way it is. God, you said this. We're reminding you of what you have committed to. You said you would be faithful to David's line. You would stick with them. Now, he also recognizes in this that God did say that if David's line, his heirs, went off the rails, there would be consequences and negative consequences. And so we see, if his sons forsake my law, God said, and don't follow my statutes, if they violate my decrees and fail to keep my commands, I will punish their sin with the rod, their iniquity with flogging. But I will not take my love from him, nor will I ever betray my faithfulness. So even within what God had revealed, there was this kind of caveat It wasn't all going to be glory, glory all the way, particularly if they abandoned God and walked away from Him. But Ethan is standing in this section of the psalm on what he knows God to have revealed. And what he knows is that God has made a big promise. David's line will have the throne forever. And I won't take my love away from David. Right? That's, that's where he's standing. That, that's, his, that's his ground. Okay, so we move on then to the third uh, section of this psalm. And this is the one that's the lament for the current disaster and catastrophe. So even while Ethan is a man praising God and standing in the truth of Scripture... Here he is looking around at the world as it has become. And all he can see is the current reality of disaster. So we don't know actually whether he was in Jerusalem uh, at the time it was sacked uh, or in the years following when it just lay a ruin with the walls torn down, the gates burned, everything wrecked, the temple destroyed Whatever time period it was, he knew about it. And I think he was probably in Babylon at the time. And even if he was only thinking back to what he had seen uh, before he got ripped out uh, of that context, what he knows is that things are not right. And that there is a gaping gap between these great promises of God that he's just been talking about and the reality of the present. Everything is not right. In fact, many things are terrible. And as he looks around and he sees the wreckage, he sees there is no king, effectively, or various kings who've been put in in place by the, uh, by the Babylonians uh, to rule who aren't powerful enough to rule or have been uh, put in because they are weak and not because they are, they're a part of David's line. Uh, everything looks chaotic and wrong. And and that's the reality that he is lamenting. It seems to be just a terrible situation. And as he looks around and reflects on all that, uh, he finishes this section saying, uh, the king is covered with a mantle of shame. 
and that is his feeling and that is his perception uh, of, of the way things are right now. But out of that third section, uh, that third movement of this psalm, he then moves into this final section, which I call cries of desperation. And verses 46 to 52 is him getting to grips with God Almighty and its prayer at its most raw. And he, he basically shouts at God, How long, O Lord? Will you hide yourself forever? We don't know when this was written. Was it written a year after the sack of Jerusalem? Was it written 50 years after the sack of Jerusalem? Because it lay in ruins for 70 years. Was it 69 years after the sack of Jerusalem? Whenever it was, the emotion... The reality is heartfelt, and he's saying, oh God, something is wrong with this picture, and where are you? So in his heart cry, his appeal, he is asking God to be himself, to step back into the action. And as he does that, he asks God to remember how fleeting his own life is. Surely an appropriate thought for all of us as we realize just how quickly the last decade went by. You've probably had the discussions in your family. I know we've had them in ours. What were you doing uh, at the start of 2010? Oh, we think Olympics and uh, that was all going on, right? Ten years ago that was. Seems like yesterday. And... Uh, how fleeting our lives are. There goes another decade, folks. Wow. So in the midst of that, he cries to God, look, I'm just little, I'm fragile, here I am. I don't have all the time in the world. Lord, where is your former great love? This stuff that I've been praising you for, all these promises that I've been standing on, where are they, God? Well, that's the psalm. And uh, maybe you're sitting here this morning wondering, well, what's all that to do with us? Well, that's a good question. I'm glad you're asking that one. Because I think it actually has a lot to do with us. I've made the point already that we as a community have lots to praise God for. He has been faithful to us collectively in so many ways. He is truly worthy of our praise. And we join with Ethan and even exceed him in the reasons that we have for praise because we have been privileged to have had the mystery of the gospel revealed to us in that we know now that the Davidic king that God was talking about to his people, uh, to David himself, the king of the line of David, came. What have we just done at Christmas? We've celebrated the coming of Jesus. And Jesus is the forever king. He's the one from whom God will never 
take away his love. And he is the one who is establishing his throne and his justice and his righteousness and whose kingdom is inbreaking in our world and has inbroken into our hearts. So if Ethan had a few reasons to praise God, we've got even more because we can now see the big picture. We know that the exile only lasted for 70 years. We know that God had not forgotten his people. We know that God had a plan and was working it out and that it broke into our world that first Christmas when Jesus came. We know that. And we know that the church has been growing since that time. And that we, the Gentiles for most part here, have been included in his big plan. We have reasons to praise. And we should never, never become a community that forgets all that and the reasons that we have to praise God. Furthermore, we do have this great treasure. We have the Old Testament, yes, but we also have the New Testament. And we know from that that we can stand on the promises that God has made. God's plan has been revealed, which is to bless us in the heavenly realms with every blessing in Christ. That's what Paul says in Ephesians. And we've been included in that. God's big plan is working out in the church, in our lives too. And so we can stand on that. and We can have confidence in that. And we can stand firmly like Ethan did on that rock-like assurance. We know what's going on. The world may look crazy, absolutely. But the kingdom is coming. And God has a plan. And God is at work. And he is moving. But we too have our laments. One of the privileges that I have as the pastor here is that I get to walk alongside people in this community. And I don't know all of you, but I know many of you. And I know that life at the moment consists of a gap, a gap between the great truths on which we stand, the promises of God, and the, the things for which we can praise Him, and the gap. And the gap is the present where we find ourselves and where we find ourselves dealing with the reality of a broken world where all is not well. And much as we want and hope that 2020 is going to be the year that drives us into new reality and new expressions and great things and all that kind of stuff, only five days in, we have also woken up to the reality that the old order of 2019 and the last decade continues. And so we as a community are living with a lot of pain. Some of it's physical. Some of us have had accidents and illnesses that have weakened us and left us feeling ah, just like this isn't the way it was supposed to be. Some of it is mental. 
Some of us are dealing with mental health issues and challenges uh, that are pushing us to the limits. Some of it is realities of our families. We have parents here who are tearing their hair out as their kids are struggling and are going through stuff that wasn't in the game plan. We had hopes, and those hopes feel like they're being dashed by the realities of the struggles of our kids. Some of us are dealing with the struggles of our parents. There's a squeeze generation in our church who are caring up and caring down. The kids are going through it, and the parents are going through it. And it feels like there's not enough stretch to be able to cope with it all. And some of us are dealing with losses and grief, and we feel isolated and lonely. Some of us are battling addictions, and some of those are making us feel like we're losing our minds. Some of us are dealing with deep-seated anxiety that seems to feed off the media, and we're afraid. We're afraid of recessions. We're afraid of joblessness. We're afraid of environmental catastrophe. You name it, we're afraid of it. This, too, is our reality. We have things to lament. So we can relate to this psalm. This is where we are. And so my question for us this morning as a community is will we or will we not move through movements one, movement two, movement three to movement four as we start this year together? Movement four, the cries of desperation is where I believe we need to begin this year. And actually, that's why we do 24-7 prayer at the start uh, of each year. It's actually a good place to begin. It's the place we need to go to get out the questions that are really deep-seated in our hearts at the moment. The how long, O oh Lord, questions. Are we going to have to go through this stuff that we are going through? But here's the deal. I believe that if we as a community get serious about the cries of desperation, we are going to find that God is going to reveal himself as the God of faithfulness and truth. And he is the one that is going to fuel our praise. That's not to say that everything in our situation is suddenly going to transform, but I do want to assure you that as we get real with the living God who hears our faintest cry, as we get real with that and come to Him with that and get it out to Him, He can cope with it. He's got it. He's big enough for this. He's big enough for our anger. He's big enough for our despair. He's big enough for our frustration. He's big enough for all our weakness. And he will hear our prayer. So we have a week, starting next Sunday. You have an opportunity 
Track down Rhonda. Track down Neil and Lucy. I think they're going to be helping this morning. Get those names signed up. Some of you have never done this. You're scared, frankly. Ooh, I'm not spiritual enough uh, for an hour of prayer. I just want to tell you, I want to ask you, are you desperate enough for an hour of prayer? That's really the key issue. Could you be desperate enough to sign up and to come? Come in the middle of the night. This is not about being seen or noticed or getting your name up in lights or anything. This is about raw encounter with a living God. Come for an hour. Come for two. Come and seek his face. And come and hit him with all your cries of desperation. He can cope. He is the only one that can cope. And as you start to pray, God will meet you. That I promise you. I told you at the start that I was planning to mention our greater things theme from John's gospel. Here it is. Remember that we've been reminding ourselves that the greater things that Jesus talked about do not come from greater work or effort on our part. They do come from our faith in Jesus as we take seriously his promise that he will do whatever we ask in his name. Ah, see how that all ties in? It's not about us getting kind of pumped up. It's about us getting in that place of dependence and humility before him and saying, Jesus, we're helpless. Would you do? Would you step in? Would you meet us here? Could we go there as a community? Yes, we can praise God. Maybe, maybe today you're not kind of conscious of a lament piece in your life. That's okay. If you've got things to praise God, praise Him. He's worthy of it. Stand on the promises. But lament. Lament the gaps. Lament the places, the pain, the struggles, the issues that are part of our life as community. And then please... Get desperate enough to come and pray. Pray in your own home. I'm going to have to come. But obviously we've got 24-7 prayer, so it's an opportunity. But pray. Get desperate to him and see what happens. Can we do that? Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you that at the start of this new year, you invite us to seek your face. And Lord, we want to do that as a community. Lord, we recognize before you that we don't have it all together, that we are a community, yes, of broken people. And Lord, in our brokenness, we cry to you, and we cry that you would be God, and that you would be who you have revealed yourself to be, the Almighty One, the God of love and faithfulness, and that you would meet us as we begin this journey into 2020 together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.